this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampath in march this year assam chief minister himanta biswa sharma and his counterpart from meghalaya konrad sangma signed an agreement in new delhi to partially resolve the 50 year old border dispute between the two states reports indicate that matters may have been resolved in 6 out of the 12 border locations that had disputes at the same time home minister amit shah has said that 70% of the border disputes between the two states have been addressed by this agreement and subsequently arunachal pradesh and assam also decided to form district level committees for settling their border disputes now there are hopes that following the 50-50 model that assam and meghalaya followed the disputes between assam and arunachal will also see resolution now assam has border disputes with most of its neighboring states some of which have been carved out from assam itself but in this particular edition of in focus we will be looking only at the issues with meghalaya and arunachal we look at what's at stake for the states involved and whether the assam meghalaya model can serve as a template for resolving all the other border disputes in the northeast our guest today is patricia mukim the editor of shillong times ms mukim thank you so much for joining us thank you for this invitation to be on this these talks because these are important issues and they impinge on a lot of issues that we need to look at as a region one of which is the act east policy we can't fast forward the act east policy if the region doesn't see common interest in doing so right absolutely the act east policy is actually a framework that we should be able to relate uh, the ongoing disputes to and see how the two are interlinked and hopefully we'll look to uh, dwell on that a bit as we go forward but to start with this agreement between assam and meghalaya that's in the news right now so can you give us a quick historical sort of perspective on this boundary dispute how it started the previous attempts to resolve it up to this point we've reached today so historically meghalaya came into being in 1972 before the coming of the british what is meghalaya today comprised of traditional chieftains we had 25 khasi chieftains and khasi is one of the tribes 12 jaintia chieftains so the khasi chieftains are called sames and the jaintia chieftains are called doloi the garos are tibeto burmans having no ethnic affinity to the khasi and the jaintia people who are of austroasiatic origin the khasis and jaintias trace their origin to the khmers of cambodia the garos like the nagas mizos and bodos etc are tibeto burmans having migrated from tibet via burma the only common trait that the three tribes share is the matrilineal culture but the khasi jaintia and garo people fought together for a separate state since the 1960s when there was a perception that being ruled by a majority assamese gentry with no understanding of tribal culture would eventually deprive the tribes of their rightful place under the political sun The political banner under which the three tribes fought unitedly was called the All Party Hill Leaders Conference. The desire to break away from Assam reached a flashpoint when Assamese, the language, was sought to be imposed as the official language. So that was the breaking point. Okay. 
So there were earlier attempts to resolve these disputes once the state was formed? Yes. The leaders of Meghalaya rejected the model presented by Assam, saying that because we had we had this boundary dispute committee. I, I forget the name of the justice who headed that committee. And, and that was totally rejected by the people of Meghalaya, saying this is not acceptable. And also, you know, we, we realized then that it's actually these traditional chieftains who have the maps, who know up to what point their land ended with Assam, you know, where the boundaries are, the real, the actual boundaries. Now, the problem now is that these traditional heads, the chieftains, were not taken on board this time when the border dispute was being resolved. I don't know why these chieftains were left out of the discussion. Also, the the district councils, you know, the district council is an institution that was formed as a result of the sixth schedule of the constitution. This sixth schedule was enacted essentially to allow the tribals to develop according to their own genius, as Nehru said, and to be able to conserve and preserve their traditional customary laws and their their cultures. So these MDCs, as we call them, members of the district councils, were also not taken on board. And that's why I think today some of them are threatening to go to court on this issue. They're not accepting the boundaries. So I don't believe that something said in Delhi can be so easily implemented here in Meghalaya. Because, see, Mr. Amit Shah has not visited these nooks and crannies of Meghalaya. He doesn't know the contours of the land. He doesn't really understand the nuances. And then to say that this is a, a high point in in the among the two states, you know, the high point in the line in the in the rule of these two states is a bit too too ambitious. And also, as you st- stated earlier, not all the areas of uh, dispute have been resolved. We, it's still only about fifty percent. Now, the people of Garu Hills are especially very disenchanted because they feel that large tracts have been ceded to Assam. Okay. So you're seeing this 50-50 model, which they followed in, in sort of signing his agreement on March 29th. You're making two interesting points here. One, you're saying that the people on the ground, uh, they may not agree because uh, many of the representatives of the district councils and the tri- tribal chieftains were not consulted. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, if they, if they are not consulted, how do you think the government is going to be able to do it? No, the government has not taken their consent at all. It it just assumes after speaking to a few people and asking them, are you happy to be on this side of the border or that side of the border? And some people have said we want to be that side. Some said we want to be this side. And that was how some kind of consensus was arrived at. But, you know, for the large part, I think there was not enough consultation. One one thing is for sure, this is the first time that this issue has reached the level of chief ministers. In the past, it was it was left to the chief secretaries of the two states to resolve this issue. For the first time, chief ministers were involved and they, I think, also visited these, you know, these disputed areas for the first time. Right. I was just wondering in terms of the details of the agreement, like earlier we know, for instance, that if you go back to the Northeast Frontier Agency or whatever it's it was called back then, there was a broad principle of you know the plains being in 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 the Assam side and the the hilly tracts where where the tribal areas. 
were carved out separately. So was that the logic which is still being broadly followed or has there been movement beyond this broad principle? See, the issue here is so fluid because if you look at uh, Mizoram and Arunachal Pradesh, they are claiming that we will go by what that inner line permit has decided during the British time, no? the inner line permit of 1873. That had clearly demarcated the areas and those areas uh, beyond the inner line permit were called restricted areas. Nobody was allowed to go there. Even the tribes from there were not allowed to move freely into the plains. That was because the British wanted to protect their own interests. Then what has happened over the years is that Assam then decided that instead of following the 1873 demarcation, they would follow the 1933 demarcation again by the British. So there is a conflict even there. Some people believe that 1873, the Eastern Frontier Bengal Regulation Act, that line is sacrosanct. Assam doesn't believe that. So that's where the problem lies. Okay, so Assam wants the 1933 demarcation, whereas Meghalaya and the other states which were carved out of Assam prefer the 1873 demarcation. Is that a way to put it? As far as Meghalaya is concerned, we didn't have the inner line permit. So we are only going by our traditional boundaries, the boundaries that our chieftains acknowledge to be the ethnic boundaries of the people of Meghalaya. This 1933 and 1873 contestation is between Arunachal Pradesh and Assam, Mizoram and Assam, also Nagaland and Assam. Okay. So coming to Arunachal now, in this case also, like, is there other parallels between how the disputes have been framed with Meghalaya? And do you think the Meghalaya-Assam model could give any kind of resolution to the disputes between Arunachal and Assam as well? See, Arunachal Pradesh has um, has always held that the transfer of a huge tract, you know, almost about a huge tract was uh, around 3,648 square kilometers of the plains area has been transferred from Arunachal Pradesh to Assam and forms what in, is now called the Darang and Lakhimpur districts. Now, the people of Arunachal believe these were also part of their territories. Okay. And they also say that the transfer was done without the consultation of its people. They call it arbitrary, defective, and that no tribal leader from Arunachal Pradesh was consulted before the land was transferred. So right now, as you are saying, since Arunachal Pradesh and Assam are both BJP-ruled states, and we have to admit that Himanta Biswa Sarma, the chief minister of Assam, is... Achanakya, you know, he is very astute. He's an astute political leader and he has a way of winning people over. He has won over the chief minister of, of Meghalaya, Konrad Sangma, who seems to believe that chief minister Himanta Biswa Sarma can do no wrong. Yesterday, we have seen at the closing ceremony of of the Northeastern, you know, we had this Amrit Mahotsav thing you know, that we are celebrating. So the Northeast Festival concluded yesterday in Guwahati. The president was there. The chief ministers of all the eight states were invited. While the rest of the chief ministers came on time for the lunch, we can see that chief minister of Manipur came just in time for the program. And the chief minister of Mizoram never came. In fact, yesterday Mizoram celebrated the 50 years of its assembly. So 
it may be possible for Himanta Biswa Sarma to come to some kind of consensus with Arunachal Pradesh because the two states belong to the same party. But I don't think it is going to be easy to get Mizoram to agree on, on any consensus or Nagaland for that matter. I think Nagaland is, is very hardened in its stances as far as boundary disputes are concerned. The case between Assam and Arunachal Pradesh is now in the, in the Supreme Court. So it remains to be seen how they resolve this. Right. No, they, according to news reports, Arunachal and Assam are, uh, are going to form district level committees. Do you think these district level committees will resolve the earlier problem you had, you had flagged about people on the ground not being consulted? Now, will these district level committees ensure a more participative process so that the disputes can be resolved, do you think? See, the district level party uh, committees, who will they include there? It will generally be politicians from the ruling party. They will do as much as possible not to include dissenting voices just because they want to arrive at a conclusion very quickly. So it depends largely on what kind of opposition there is in Arunachal Pradesh at the moment. At the moment, there seems to be no opposition because the National People's Party and the BJP are working together in Meghalaya. They're working together in Arunachal Pradesh. The Congress is completely decimated. So in short, there isn't any opposition in Arunachal Pradesh. So it might just work because uh, generally political parties don't listen to people's voices. So we are actually not a full-fledged democracy, I would like to say. We are a partial democracy because people's voices don't matter. Right. So looking at this uh, this border dispute question from a broader perspective, and you did mention just now that because both the states are governed by the BJP or BJP allies, they might be able to arrive at some kind of an agreement, but that might be an agreement or a resolution at the political or administrative level. But at the on the ground, in terms of the people who are living, like how do you see this panning out? Let's say agreement is reached and the people on the ground and the tribal chieftains don't like it. How do you see that panning out? See, in Meghalaya, for instance, we are heading for the polls next year, early next year, February 2023. This will become a big political issue. It has always been a political issue for 50 years now, although nobody has really tried to resolve it. To the credit of this government, they've tried to do something, but they haven't really believed in in consensus building, in you know larger consultations, because as usual, they, they always treat people who have dissenting voices as outliers. So they will never take the you know the views of such people. But interestingly, in the district council, the Khasi Hills District Council, which is now planning to go to court on the settlement or so-called settlement. There are two parties there that are running the council. One is the United Democratic Party, which is a Khasi-centric party, and the other is the National People's Party. Recently, the National People's Party MDCs, or members of the district council, have said that they are not going to be party to this idea of going to court. So now this has become a work in progress. We have to see now whether only the UDP MDCs are going to go to court, how it's going to pan out, so, and once a matter goes to court, you know, it will take years to resolve. Right now, I think what this government wants, the Conrad Sangma government wants, is to score a political point so that when they go back to the people, they will say, look, we have tried to resolve the boundary issues, which has not been done in the last 50 years. That is their pitch, actually. 
Okay, and uh, but if they claim to have resolved the boundary issue, and if that resolution, so to speak, has happened without the concurrence of the tribal councils, as you say, then how will that claim work when it comes to actual uh, going to the voters and telling them? No, so there is time between now and February. As I said, this is work in progress. There's a lot of contentiousness in all this. In Meghalaya now, we have the Trinamul Congress also. You know that about 12 uh, MLAs of the Congress have joined the Trinamul Party. Those are very, very, you know, radical in their stance that they're not going to accept this resolution. So that becomes a huge political battle for the NPP and for the MDA government that's ruling Meghalaya. It would be a very, very heated debate. It's already a heated debate among the intellectuals of the state, among, you know, there's only one political party, which is called the Hill State People's Democratic Party, which seems to have gone all out with the NPP in agreeing, in coming to a consensus about the dispute. And uh, they, the HSPDP has MLAs that come from the most contentious part of the border, which is Langpi, which has seen a lot of bloodshed, a lot of killing and killing of people, policemen being killed during these border skirmishes. So that is a, a very interesting turn of events. Right. Ms. Mukumi, you're running out of time. So one final question before we wind up. So from the point of view of the common man, how critical is it to resolve these disputes? Because we re- we do read, I'm in Delhi and in other parts of the country, when we read about these incidents, we read about occasional violent clashes as happened last August in 2021, for instance, at the Mizu-Assam border. But on a day-to-day basis, while these border disputes remain unresolved, how is life in these borderlands? Is it is it full of conflict, friction, or is it more or less okay even with these disputes unresolved? How does it work? So as far as the non-border residents are concerned, there does not seem too much of, you know, these border disputes do not matter too much to people residing away from the border. But what happens is whenever, whenever there's a flashpoint, you know, then the ethnic pride rises to the fore and people immediately take sides like the, like the, incident of Mizoram, August 2021. There is this emotive feeling amongst all the tribes of the Northeast that Assam has always acted as the big brother and that the smaller states have always had to concede or give more than they take, you know, more than they should be giving. So this is this is the, the situation today. People residing in the state capitals, they don't really bother much But, you know, as uh, political stakeholders, they feel that we should not be losing even one inch of our own territories. That's how it is. Right. So this ethnic identity aspect does come into play with regard to this. So you're saying even if if, even in terms of resources which are at stake, I don't know if there are some mining areas or agricultural lands involved, are those dimensions that work as well in this dispute? Yes, absolutely. Those are also some of the most fertile areas, you know. And see, we have to concede that Assam has done much more for these border residents than any of the other states have done. In the case of Meghalaya, for instance, you know, these border residents, what and what Assam has done is to settle people there. They've settled the Nepalese there. They've settled a lot of non-tribal people in those border areas. And they've given them the Aadhaar cards. They've built roads. So they've created facilities, which in turn makes these people opt to be in the side of Assam. So that is one drawback of Meghalaya. We haven't done too much in terms of, 
you know, developing the borders. In fact, even getting Aadhaar cards is very difficult in Meghalaya because just because the residents of the borders are non-tribals. So to that extent, I think Assam has been much more astute than the other tribal states in, you know, in making those people residing in the borders to sort of align with them. Right. So that's a very interesting point you've just made. You're saying basically that the lands which are, say, being claimed by Meghalaya as its territory, they are now occupied or rather settled in by people who would rather remain in Assam because of the facilities they've got. Yes, yes, that is exactly the point. Okay, okay, that's very interesting and uh, and it does make it very complicated indeed in terms of resolutions because there are multiple pulls and pressures from different sides. Also, it, it, th- it shows the mirror to us, to our own state government, in not doing enough for the border residents. And then you want to claim them to be part of the state. See, it doesn't help the cause at all. Right. Ms. Mukim, we are running out of time, so we'll, we'll wind up. Now, any final comments you want to make uh, before we wrap up? Well, I, I think it is very, very important to resolve these border issues because we need to think as a region, you know, whether we look at tourism, whether we look at uh, commerce. See, each of the states has their own strengths. They have their own weaknesses. These weaknesses can be addressed by the other states by their strong points. And because we need to look east as far as, you know, as far as, what should I say, marketing our products is concerned. Marketing our products means marketing our tourism products, marketing our handmade products. It's easier to, to look east than to look west to the rest of India in terms of marketing produce. The only problem is that the Kaladan multimodal scheme, which is to connect Mizoram to Myanmar, is still you know, work in progress. Also, the present situation in Myanmar is creating a roadblock for the Act East policy, but I'm sure there will be a way out. And so if the region is united and doesn't fight amongst itself, it has better prospects of developing and, you know, reaching the point that the rest of the country has. Because at the moment, in terms of development, we are far behind. Right. Yes, so the Northeast has to learn to think as a region and for that to happen, you first have to, of course, resolve your interstate internal disputes. I thank you so much, Ms. Mukim, for sharing your thoughts and insights on this ongoing issue. Hopefully, we'll come back and revisit this subject as developments proceed uh, in this domain. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.